just see the idea of computers sending value across a, a network without an intermediary felt like a real big breakthrough to me, but I always, I never really realized it was going to be more than a toy. Hey, I'm Rudy, and this is the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Here, we learn about the lives of our favorite crypto experts, leaders, and entrepreneurs. Welcome, Kevin Owaki, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today. So glad to be here. Yeah, and we all know you from, you know, founding Gitcoin, working in several several startups, and, you know, speaking in lots of different conferences. And I know you're working on web3event.co. And I'm excited to learn all about your crypto side. But before you even got into crypto, I want to know what Kevin was doing before ever hearing about Bitcoin or any of that. Sure. Yeah. So uh, basically, I've been writing software since I was like 13, 14 years old, mm -hmm. just kind of messing around with websites like back in the GeoCities days. <laughs> I don't know how many of your listeners are millennials, but uh, lots of bad animated GIFs in websites hosted on GeoCities Those were back good. in the day. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're uh, <clears throat> they're bad in retrospect, but but yeah, um, yeah, just basically been been writing software, playing video games as a kid, and then and then you know I've I mean I've got non computer sides of me like sports and um, done a little bit of activism stuff over the years also, and uh, kind of got into entrepreneurship after I graduated from college. I I. I went through the Techstars Startup Accelerator program okay. in 2008, and that's what kind of got me from just writing websites in PHP and hosting them on like GeoCities to being a startup CTO and writing software professionally and, and running dev teams and stuff like that. So that was a real transitional moment for me. I mean, you know, a lot of people go through college, but for me going through, like I was never all that in tune with things academically mm -hmm. until I realized entrepreneurship would be a path to a better life for myself and my family. And, and Techstars uh, is basically this accelerator out of Boulder, Colorado that gives you, it was like me and two other 22 year old guys. Uh, we were like building a startup in a garage. Uh, and Classic they give you, Yeah. Um, and, and they gave you, they, they put you in front of investors and present you as like an investable group of people and, and try to actually make you into into that. And, you know, it was a real zero to one moment for me to go through Techstars. And so in 2008, I founded an online dating company that mm -hmm. uh, was kind of fun. It was like a fun thing to run in my 20s was an online dating marketplace and grew that to 3 million users before that eventually got aqua hired and and didn't really work because we didn't really find a way to monetize it. But gotcha. but but yeah, um, yeah, there's lots of different, uh, you know, I, I, I software engineer, uh, I play sports, like Ultimate Frisbee, I play a lot of, play oh, a lot nice. of volleyball, soccer, stuff like that. Yeah, I play Ultimate too. And then, and then yeah, just uh, uh, like social stuff also, just like I've really enjoy, enjoyed community organizing and holding space for people over the years. So nice. I've had a diverse set of interests for a long time. Yes. And do you, do you think that entrepreneurship instinct was always in you? Like I know you're working in software, so tech was probably very natural for you, but was entrepreneurship a little bit of a learning curve? Yeah, I mean, I would say it was a series of trying things that didn't engage me and and like stumbling on just always always trying new stuff. So, mm -hmm. I mean, in college, I was always like a B student, but <laughs> and I was like what's the point of like putting in the extra effort to get an A? Yeah. And then when I worked in corporate America, I was like, well, this fucking sucks. I don't know if I can curse <laughs> on your podcast, no, but you I just can did. Curse. It's fine. Um, <laughs> And, and I just remember being so miserable with corporate America and I just kept trying things until, until I felt like I was climbing the global maxima instead of the local maxima. Yeah. Uh, um, 
And, and for me, startups were just the first thing that really hooked me because it was like, wow, the depth of my self-actualization from learning to run dev teams and like prevent bugs, but ship software fast and meet product market fit mm -hmm. and hire engineers and learn to run lean startups and pitch investors. It just like, it was like a real like growth thing for me and it really challenged me. And, and that self-actualization from running startups, I think was, was one of like my favorite, my favorite things was that I left corporate America and I took a chance on startups and I've been doing it for the last 15 years. It's been, it's been awesome. That's, that's amazing. That's like a, I feel like a constant struggle with a lot of people, especially who are trying to do their own startup or trying to get more into entrepreneurship in any industry, yeah. not just crypto. And it's like, you know, how do I take that jump or that risk and get into that lifestyle? Because it is hectic. It's crazy. It's not, it's not easy. Yeah. It's like embracing chaos. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the things that I, was hard for me, I remember I almost didn't make the jump because I was like, oh, corporate America is safe. Like I really climbed the ladder here. But now when I look back at it, I'm like, oh man, the illusion of, of career safety that you have with one of those like corporate jobs, it's just an illusion. It's not like that really exists. The way that you create anti-fragility in your career is by hopping around every couple of years, gaining a bunch of different skills and being marketable on the job market. Whereas if I had stayed at that corporate job, I'm 37, 38 now, I just turned 38 last week. Uh, if birthday. I had stayed at that job, then yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> then I would basically have 15 years of skills that were only attributable to one company that was like still running IE, like IE seven and like, you know, wasn't even using <laughs> Git for version control. So it's much easier to hop around in, um, uh, in, in startups than it is in, in corporate America because the, the half-life of a career is much shorter there. Yep. Or yeah. uh, of a job is much shorter there. And it becomes so sticky to that company because you become an, a, an expert in that one subject they hired you for. Yeah, exactly. And become almost indebted. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really good advice because I, I think someone's probably listening to this now is going to want to know what I have to break out of in a mental cycle just to start yeah. something up. The other one is not being afraid to fail. I mean, mm -hmm. I get coins like <laughs> my, my fifth like blockchain side project and probably my 10th software project that I've tried to get off the ground in the last 10 years. And it was just getting kicked in the face by investors and users over the last 10 years that has led me to uh, to, to having built Gitcoin. So I think let, let, letting go of the idea that like, why should I even try if, if I might fail and moving towards, I'm gonna learn a lot if I fail and I'm gonna be better off and it'll all compound over time has been the other mental mental break too. Exactly, and like, that's, that's so important to remember too because like Gitcoin wasn't your first project. It didn't become super successful immediately. It took time. And he had some iterations of previous projects you've learned from. Um, but yeah, so then as you were developing, growing, learning, when was the first time you even heard about cryptocurrencies? I basically, I read the Bitcoin white paper in, I think it was 2012. I have a, I have a, a tweet that I, always, that I pin sometimes that's talking about how it's timestamped in 2012 and it's talking about Bitcoin. And I was always really proud that, <laughs> that I discovered Bitcoin back in, in 2012. But I, I, you know, I thought it was promising, but I thought it was kind of a toy back in the day. And, and so just see the idea of computers sending value across a, a network without an intermediary felt like a real big breakthrough to me. But I, always, I never really realized it was going to be more than a toy until maybe 2017, like the ICO cycle, when, when my friends were quitting their Web2 jobs and going into web, what they were calling Web3, I was like, oh, wow, this is real. And... and um, so, so yeah, uh, I, I think that like from 2015 to 2017, I started hacking around in the space, 
So I bought my first Bitcoin in like 2014, 2015. Mm -hmm. I think I bought my first Bitcoin at like 30 bucks. I like to say I was smart enough to buy and <laughs> not smart enough to hold. Um, <laughs> so it's not, it's not like I'm rich or anything now. I just like bought Bitcoin and then I sold it for like a 100% profit, which I thought was great. Yeah, um, nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's a win. Yeah, I mean, other than <laughs> like you could have held and had a 100,000% profit, but... But yeah, so um, I built, let's see, I built a, a tool called Adblock to Bitcoin back in 2016. They got written up in Wired Magazine. That was pretty awesome. I built a, pool, a tool called PyTrader, which was an open source machine learning cryptocurrency trading bot. And that also got like hacker news up and, and did pretty well. I did a stint with a blockchain hedge fund that didn't really get off the ground. I did a few other block So get going getcoin was basically my fifth or sixth yeah. blockchain side project I was doing zcash mining out of my house for a little while and um no actually not zcash it was another currency i can't remember but but yeah uh, so so just basically trying stuff throwing spaghetti at the wall and failing at a lot of stuff <laughs> and that's what eventually led me to 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 getcoin nice and i know like getcoin is like you know derivative of like trying to do like our fun public goods and that's kind of your motto is like loving public goods kind of right there in the back of your wall and also mm -hmm. um uh you know creating some regenerative society and using crypto to help with that and i know you mentioned in the beginning that you worked in some type of like philanthropy um i'm wondering what about that really got you like interested how did you start getting into helping out the public versus just trying to become like a like a money grabbing machine or some type of ico yeah um Oh man. So, so basically Gitcoin's mission is to grow and sustain open source software. And basically there is two threads that I, that I pulled in order to get to that mission. The first was that I was a startup CTO in VP engineering from 2008 when I went through Techstars to 2017, which is when I started Gitcoin. And I'd hired 45 software engineers during that time and realized during that time that at first I was as a C new CTO, I was mm -hmm. reliant on recruiters. And, and you know, the, basically the way it works is you give them a job description and then they start feeding you candidates and you interview the candidates. And if you, if you like someone, then you, then you pay them a 30k placement fee, 20% of the first year salary of for that oh, engineer, wow. and then you hire them. And what I didn't realize was that most of these recruiters are just like they're buying a hundred dollar a month LinkedIn subscription and they're just like spamming about these engineers in order to feed them to you. So there's an arbitrage between hundred dollars a month and three 30k that they charge you. And so why not cut them out? Why not cut out the intermediary? And so that was the first insight that led me to starting Gitcoin. The second was that everything I had done in my career was based off of open source software. Open source software is software that's got code that's available for free to mm -hmm. the public. And you know, one of the problems with open source is that because the source code is free, it's hard to monetize. It's what I later learned is called a public good, something that is non-excludable and non-rivalrous. So open source software, we know from a study in 2014, creates $500 billion per year in economic value. And there's no way to monetize it if you're an open source software developer. And, and so correcting that asymmetry between value created and value captured was kind of what we were trying to do with Gitcoin. And so that kind of, you know, Vitalik later told me that that's public goods and there's lots of other public goods. Journalism is a public good. Climate is a public good. Privacy is a public good. Just kind of sounds oxymoronic yeah. <laughs> as you, as you say it out loud. But um, anyway, so, so, so I would say this idea of goods that are create a lot of value, but are hard to monetize is the underserved market that 
that the traditional system doesn't doesn't serve. And so, you know, the kind of theory was that oh, we can program our values into our money with blockchain. If we value public goods, we should be able to build economic systems that fund public goods. That's like the the like theoretical deduction from first principles of why blockchain is powerful. But you know, the real reason why Gitcoin has been successful is that there's a trillion dollars in capital in the open source financial system. And everyone needs developers. Mm -hmm. So like we just build the rails between the developers and the money. And um, you know, that's that's been the key to success here because everyone needs developers. So, yeah. so there's like a theoretical and then there's the just like the market opportunity of that that has allowed us to be successful, I think. Yeah, and your book, uh, Green Pill, what was a great explanation on all that mm. because you explain yeah, crypto economics, why it's so important to regenerate uh, or have that regen effect of op uh, funding open source projects and kind of catering home to like, oh, if there's a project needs to be funded, the people will want to help out where they can, especially if there is a way to fund it and pay the developers, whoever's building it appropriately. And, and as you were, I guess, right right before building gitcoin and like hearing about uh, cryptocurrencies was that kind of what's what was like shooting off you know, the neurons in your in your mind like oh this is exactly where i need to start with like this is what your mind was going to of what i can use to build cryptocurrencies or did you have other did you have other ideas that were i know you said yeah. other projects but did you have other like motives when you were first building uh, projects in the crypto world um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that like, I've always just really liked frontier tech mm -hmm. going back to my time in corporate America, where I realized, oh, wait, corporate America is very hierarchical. And it's the reason is that people have front run me by like 30 years in their career. <laughs> and now they're like senior chief architect, three levels above me. And I just didn't like, I didn't like hierarchies. I wanted to work with people my age. I wanted to work on the frontier because it felt like that's where the opportunity was. And so, you know, in web two, I worked in social, I worked on clean energy, I worked on computer vision. Gotcha. And then I started in, you know, around 2017, getting into artificial intelligence, machine learning, had a virtual reality startup for like six months that we launched in a, you know, and we did okay, but it wasn't, it wasn't gonna, gonna be great. And so it was just being on the frontier was what really excited me intellectually. And it just so happened, that's the best place to build a career. Yeah. So it was just trying stuff and launching it and not being afraid to fail that I think was what really gave me that dopamine hit of like, I learned Unity programming and I know how to build VR now. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't like, you know, I, I, I just, I just it. tried stuff and, and wasn't afraid to fail. And, and mm -hmm. that's what kind of led me to Gitcoin. But, you know, I, I, I wish that there was some like a priori, a priori just means like deduced from theory instead of from practice. But like, I'm a very empirical thinker. I just like trying stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, if, if I was a better a priori thinker, I think maybe I would have gotten to get coined faster. But <laughs> it was in the reality, it was just trying a lot of stuff and failing it. And, and even if you look at Gitcoin, like Gitcoin launched with the mission of growing and sustaining open source, but we started off as a bounty network, which like in retrospect, no one gave a shit about yeah. the bounty network. It was only when Vitalik and Glenn invented quadratic funding, and we were the first ones to implement it, that Gitcoin actually got like, to be a household name in the in the in the space and it was because glenn and vitalik deduced like a priori quadratic funding which is this beautiful vessel for funding public goods and i can get into that and mm -hmm. we were the ones who just kind of put it on put it to market and stuff like that so i think just trying trying stuff and failing empirically is is the answer to the question yeah and i guess can you go into quadratic funding just a little bit so our listeners can totally. understand what that means yeah, can i can i share my screen or is this an audio only show it's both. It's okay. both. So yeah. 
Well, I'll just speak to it because that'll be better for the audio listeners. So basically, quadratic funding is a way of funding public goods. Open source software is mm -hmm. a public good. And it's based off of a paper that Vitalik Buterin, Glenn Weil, and Zoe Hitzig published in 2018 called A Flexible Design for Funding Public Goods. And basically, the way it works is that we run a matching campaign on Gitcoin that matches contributions from the crowd once per quarter. And basically the way it works is that say you've got a $3 million matching pool, grants round 14 happened to be a $3 million matching pool. You can match contributions from the crowd, but uh, with quadratic funding, the matching isn't one-to-one. -one. So basically if you, Rudy, raise $100 from 100 contributors and I raise $100 from one contributor, then you are going to get 99% of the matching pool because you have a broader breadth of support that as opposed to my one supporter. And so even though we raised the same amount of money, in, whereas in one-to-one -one matching, you would get $100 and I would get $100, in quadratic funding, you get 99% of the matching pool because we're optimizing for the preferences of the poor and the many as opposed to the rich and the few. Gotcha. And this is powerful because what it does is it gets you off your ass to fund public goods. If, if I'm going to give you a dollar and you're going to have $100 worth of impact because of the quadratic funding matching multiple, mm -hmm. well, you're actually going to get out your wallet and you're going to give that dollar. And so that's the power of quadratic funding is it gets you over that free rider problem of why would I even bother to fund this when I'm already getting it for free? And so that matching multiple is what gets people excited about quadratic funding. So far, Gitcoin Grants has raised $65 million worth of funding in the Ethereum ecosystem. You can go to gitcoin.co slash results if you want to see that growth line over time. And that stats page updates every every three hours or so. So right now it's at $65 million. By the time people listen to it, hopefully it'll be higher though. Yeah. And did you ever feel like you would ever see this day? Like, was this something like, how like how much of a surprise was Gitcoin to you and its success? Um, I mean, I pinch myself. I'm very happy to see how successful it's been, but you know, it's still very much in evolution. We're I don't think that the Gitcoin experiment is is complete, but you know, it, it is night and day to go from in 2017 building this thing in my basement with mm -hmm. no one giving a shit about it at all uh, to having people tweet about it, having Vitalik Buter and tweet about it. And, you know, the, the, the number one most gratifying thing for me is going to ETCC or going to ETH Berlin and meeting someone who says Gitcoin changed my life because yeah. it allowed me to get it through a rough patch in my career or it allowed me to meet a new contributor to my project. You know, th those are the things that really make me excited about, about Gitcoin is, is hearing that it helped someone's life and, and it helped uh, keep someone who's working on open source afloat. So that that's the best part part of it for me. Yeah, and it makes sense because like that's what you're building for, right? Is for the public, is for people, individuals to actually have a chance to succeed in building what they want to build, rather than the rich and the few. Um, and as you're building out Gitcoin, and you're talking about corporate structures, how do you design Gitcoin structure in terms of employees and as a workforce? Any advice you would give to other crypto companies that are trying to build something like yours? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me in Web3 has been to build in public, to try things, to wander out loud on Twitter about things that are going to work and or not work, and then get feedback from smarter people than me and try things and fail and just kind of throw the spaghetti on the wall and, and see what's going to work and what's not what's mm -hmm. not going to work. And that's, that's to me, been the most gratifying thing about, about Web3 is the pace at which it moves and how you can have an edge if you just kind of build in public. So, you, you know, there's plenty of... There, there's there's no shortcuts to building a successful project unless you fall just ass backwards into, into success, which, you know, uh, I've just had to work really hard for Gitcoin, but I, um, you know, I think that that's one thing that, that I've really enjoyed about web three is building in public. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause 
I mean, I love watching people build in public. So that's how I learned too. I'm watching people uh, like, like Left Eris. I've had him on the show. He's building the Rotsky app. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is amazing to watch you grow. And I'm watching also you build out Gitcoin and your team. And yeah, just plenty of people just discussing like, this is what I'm building. And you just love seeing the comments below it saying, oh, you can try this. Mm. Let me help you out here. And yeah, community... Yeah, community is key to this. And I think crypto has such a good influence on creating a strong community. And it shows. You can you can start seeing how how effective it is. And yeah, I wonder if that would even happen without cryptocurrencies. Because again, money does make things happen. People are incentivized by money and also doing something they love. But you also, you also need money to do th- something that you love. So it definitely brings that yeah. digital world into a communitive, it's global industry that everyone can work on together yeah i mean i think of like you know you can have when i worked in corporate america i remember discussing problems with my coworkers, but you just had to be on site you had to have a certain education and pedigree in order to be in those discussions you had to know about the closed source code that Mm -hmm. existed within the company and i think web3 has just kind of broken down the walls because it's open source and you know we've hit this equilibrium point where the value of being open and working in public is greater than the risk of open sourcing your code and working in public because the talent and capital is going to flow to where the heat is. Whereas, you know, back in corporate America, they were always worried about their competitors stealing their trade secrets or their talent. And so it had this much more closed off mindset. And so that shelling point of openness in building in public, I think is, has been really interesting to see that threshold crossed. Mm -hmm. And again, like DAOs, we have DAOs now that are also, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations where People form organizations to help, again, fund other companies and build different companies. I know you're uh, part of a few DAOs. And for me, it's still an experimentation stage where I'm where I'm hoping it'll start taking over governance of like state level issues. But I'm wondering how what do you how has your experience been with developing DAOs and where do you see its future? Yeah. Well, um, it's it's really hard to talk about DAOs because I think like talking about DAOs is like talking about communication like uh-huh. it's it's just like such a broad strokes <laughs> thing to talk about or actually you know what here's a better analogy talking about DAOs is like talking about organizations are we talking about charities are we talking about uh for-profit companies are mm-hmm. we talking about the pta at my kid's school there's many different types of organizations right and so it's almost impossible to reason about them in the abstract and that's how i feel about DAOs. is like there's urine dow which has all the emissions from urine finance system and is like this primordial soup that developed completely leaderlessly. And then there's Gitcoin DAO, which I've been had a hand in shaping, but it kind of started off, Gitcoin Grants was run by a company. So there was structure there that uh, there was hierarchy that had to be dismantled, but we had to keep the structure as mm-hmm. Gitcoin Grants became a DAO. And so, you know, it, I think it's impossible to reason about DAOs in the abstract. By the way, those are just two examples. There's Nouns yeah. DAO, there's Bankless DAO, there's there's Aragon DAO, there's a bunch of different DAOs. And so Moloch DAO is, is one of the pr- more, more prolific. And so it's hard to reason about in the abstract what works within DAOs. But my most object level experience is with Gitcoin DAO. And that's been a real blessing to have people all over the world that care about Gitcoin's mission and to join in building the open source project that is Gitcoin. That's been a real treat. Yeah. And that's true because there is so many different types of organizations. It's hard to pin it down. And yeah, it makes sense. And, and as I guess, as for continuing uh, creating different projects and working on so many projects, I noticed that you're working on web3event.co and I wanted to know a little bit mm. more about that, what we should be looking forward to 
Right. Yeah. So um, basically, Gitcoin DAO is now the governance structure for Gitcoin Grants, which is mm -hmm. the nonprofit portion of the Gitcoin network. So Grants now lives in Gitcoin, and that's all branded Gitcoin. And the company that was around uh, during the launch of the DAO, which used to be called Gitcoin Holdings, has now been named to Web3 Event Co. So basically, the idea there okay. is that Gitcoin has the trademark for Gitcoin, and this company is now called Web3 Event Co. It's got nothing to do with Gitcoin from a leadership perspective. So the DAO is its own thing. It's running Gitcoin grants, and, and um, that's where the assets have gone from a Gitcoin perspective. And... and um, Gitcoin has this, or in the past, Gitcoin had this this virtual events business, which is basically it sells virtual hackathons to different people in the space. Basically, okay. the deal is we'll send hundreds uh, or sometimes thousands of developers or designers or knowledge workers into your ecosystem. You sponsor a virtual event. You can present your technology to them. They can kick the tires on it. And at the end of the day, they get to go home with some tokens that can get coins, pun intended, for working <laughs> on open source. And uh, so Web3 Event Co. is is now like the company portion of of the Gitcoin network, and and that's going to be the bounty hackathon portion of the network for the foreseeable future. We are working on building a white label virtual events platform where anyone who needs access to developers in the space can deploy. Uh, so in the past, it was deployed under the Gitcoin brand. But now in the future, it'll be deployed under whatever white label brand you want it to be. And, and we can just basically help developers earn for working on open source. So that's what Web3 Event Co is. And we're just working on things that are revenue generative and, and mm -hmm. probably value creative to the Gitcoin network as well. Gotcha. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's so nice that and we, at a certain point of success, people tend to just take their success and like run. But I'm really happy that you're just keep giving back and giving back and giving back as much as you possibly can and generating more people like you who are trying to create a better society for everybody. Um, but yeah, as, as like you said, you're in a lot of different projects. And I know that you try to do some things outside of cryptocurrency, like play Ultimate Frisbee, spend time with family. But it is a tough hurdle. I mean, crypto is 24-7. It can never leave your mind if, if you don't let it or take a break from it. So what does, what does Kevin do for for fun thing or hobbies, things outside mm. of uh, cryptocurrency or kind of just mental yeah. decompression? Yeah, I mean, sports, I think, is, and exercise is a big thing. I live here in Colorado where there's a lot of nature. And so going for a trail run here and there is really a lot of fun. Going with my golden retriever and running in the woods. So it's just nice to breathe fresh air and to touch grass and to be outside, play with my kids and, and play with my family, I think is uh, something that's really fun to do and, and means a lot to me is to spend time with other people and, and loved ones is is really important. I've been off and on of being a voracious reader. It just really depends on what I'm into. Sometimes I'll, I'll spend a lot of time clicking around crypto Twitter and, and having that sort of high fructose corn syrup <laughs> information engagement. And sometimes I'll read... Uh, read books, mostly fiction, uh, or, or like math. Um, so, so yeah, stuff like that. But, you know, I think having a diversity of interests is really important because it can't just be all crypto all the time. I mean, crypto is interesting because you can look at it from a societal perspective. You can look at it as a computer science thing. You can look at it as economics, game theory, community management. Mm -hmm. And so there are multifaceted things in, in that, but, I do think that it's important to diversify your habits and, and not become a one-dimensional person. But, but I do know that, uh, oh man, whenever my wife wants to go on a double date with like another couple, I'm like, 
oh man is the other guy a sports guy or am i gonna be able to like nerd out on game theory with him <laughs> and and the worst thing is like i can only feign interest in someone's fantasy football league for like five minutes I before <laughs> i'm i'm out on a double date <laughs> it is tough it's just like it's, it always amazes me how people can remember all the players life stories and exactly what's going on with them i'm like how do you i don't even know what's going on in my life that much how do you know what's going on in their life so much and yeah. it's just so funny yeah, I mean, I think it's as all all encompassing as crypto is to us for for a certain group of people. Is, it has is, to be, of course. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's fine. So, I guess when you um, are out and about, are you always like, do you feel like you're the crypto nut, like in your family and your friends, or do you feel like you have an equal ratio between people who understand this lifestyle and this industry, or or not? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, between me and my wife, I'm definitely the crypto nut, and I, you know, everyone has their own their own sort of interests they spin on. My wife is really into women's health, and so mm -hmm. supporting her in in that career trajectory and that interest has been a lot of fun. And she's equally as voraciously into that, excuse me, as I am into crypto. But you know, I've got my tech friends, my non tech friends, my college friends, my high school friends, and so every it just depends on the context that we're in. We're all we all show different sorts parts of ourselves in different contexts and so it just sort of depends on on where you're where you're at that's awesome yeah my fiance is also big into i guess mental health and i guess general well-being um she has her own business doing that so i love supporting that with her and when i introduced the idea of blockchain because mm -hmm. she didn't know anything about blockchain until she met me so i'm like this is what it can do and decentralize uh the whole entire yoga industry and she's like mm. her head turns like light bulb goes on like she's like what this is this is what we need to yeah. solve the problem and like so me and her are working on some stuff for that but it's always exciting help like just bringing someone else on board and seeing their like light bulb go off and just uh you know being able to see what i see in this the future of, the, of this industry yeah i mean i think education in a way is i'll bring this back to public goods for a sec but education is the ultimate public good right mm -hmm. you know the more informed a society is the more prosperous the people are and i think that uh education whether it's crypto or math or science or art or any of these different subjects is is just such a good thing not only for the individual but for the society that people are in and so having a mentor to go down that path is is really important yeah did you have any mentors like that to help you out yeah i mean uh in college, I was in an honors fraternity and the upperclassmen kind of coached me through some of the harder social aspects of, of college. Um, in my career, I've had multiple people. I mean, starting a startup is no joke. It's really hard. It's very yeah. trial yeah. by fire. And having just other founders to talk to as peers. And, you know, sometimes sometimes they're five or 10 years your senior. So it's really more of an asymmetric mentorship relationship. And um, yeah, so yeah, the short answer is yes. I actually started a with Miles Mathias, one of my friends in the Boulder community, we started this thing called startup uh, CTO lunches. And it would just be a bunch of nerdy people who are trying to figure out the dark art of managing software engineers, mm -hmm. who would all get lunch together once a month. And that was really great, because we could trade war stories. And first off, not feel so alone, but also trade tips on how to manage software engineers who are very brilliant, but also abstract and hard to communicate with and sometimes have like ego and communication issues together so yeah i'd say peer-to-peer -peer mentorship but peer-to-peer -peer relationships with other leaders but also mentorships have been has been really important for me over the last several years yeah and yeah same for me too because i've like doing my mba in college you know it's it's more like the teachers who have been mentoring me through the through the experience because i studied like entrepreneurship innovation 
and kind of that, like you said, that push just to kind of put you over the edge of actually trying something and not being afraid to fail and just running with it and seeing what happens. That's always been a great experience and I think invaluable in itself. Uh, totally, yeah. And you know, back in the crypto industry, I love to learn something that's like a crypto pet peeve that you have being in so many different industries and so many different uh, startups. What is a crypto pet peeve that you have? I mean, I think that, you know, so I wrote this book called Green Pilled, How Crypto Can Regenerate the World. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can get it at greenpill.party. But basically, you know, I, I really think that crypto, because we have the ability to program our values into our money, could be one of the most pro-social, prosperous things that happens to the world. And, you know, I think that for that to happen, first, first do no harm, right? That's that's the kind of the, the rule. And I, I think that, you know, one thing that really get that kind of upsets me is the amount of energy usage that cryptocurrency has. Proof of work is very wasteful. And so the move to proof of stake, I'm really excited about mm-hmm. in the first do no harm thing. And then it's like, you know, all the Ponzi's that fleece retail, whether it's like a Doquan style Terra that collapses and people's savings evaporate mm-hmm. overnight when it was advertised to be a stable coin or just like the all in all out Ponzi schemes, like the safe moons of the world. I really think that those are just really bad for the industry. And so I'd like, I think that bank and bankless, they always talk about how we're speed running the evolution of finance. And, and I really like to just speed run past all the cancers and the viruses and get to the web three equivalent of like mycelial networks or dolphins or humans, or, you know, like things that are the advanced species that, um, that are going to be like the apex, the keystone species of, of, of the, uh, of the tree of life of the yeah. web three economics thing. So, you know, it's, it's just the things that are bad for, for the world. And then, you know, once those are washed out and we have an immune system against those, then the pro-social stuff can start to really dominate. So, uh, those are, those are, I think the peeves that I have and, 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 and so I, I think that we just have to evolve past them and it's only a matter of time in my opinion. Yeah. And it's very, that's the thing. It's we're humans, right? It's very natural for people to take advantage of a situation if they could, if they see that there's money to be made any means they're going to try to do it. And it's kind of sad when I hear, Oh, cryptocurrency brings money laundering. It brings scams and Ponzi schemes. And that's what the media loves to, you know, just throw out. <laughs> it's because it attracts clicks. Um, there's so much good that's happening from it. And, and it's needed for an online world, like privacy, data ownership, owning what you want people to read or write in your profile. Like it's, that's important right now. Like even like the health system, uh, I think I had like a doctor, like I had a doctor's appointment and my, um, my, my mom got the email that I was supposed to get the email for like confirming Mm. the appointment. I'm like, it wasn't a big deal. It was like a regular appointment, but it's just like, thanks for the HIPAA notification. Like, that's, yeah. not, that's not how it's supposed to work, but I'm pretty sure it's because like maybe as a child, it was saved under her profile, but still it's like, that's weird. Um, it'd be nice to actually own your own data. And, and like, as we said, like humans are just, um, trying to, we're just different people and people, it's like hard to believe in a world where the, I guess, like you said, the cancers or viruses of the society don't exist. It's not possible there will always be stuff like that and like you're right we're speed running through it a little bit faster than we usually would because back in the day before the internet it was much on much more on a smaller scale and probably on a probably harder to pick out the certain people who do it versus now where it's yeah 
like Doquana, just a huge, huge stable, stable coin that collapsed yeah. and hurt millions of people. Um, but hopefully that doesn't happen again. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing is one once bitten twice. Once bitten, twice shy is like the whole meme, right? So mm-hmm. after you've been kind of fucked over by a system like that, you're going to be much more shy about where you put your capital. And, you know, hope, hopefully we can develop an immune system where it's easier to defend than it is to attack these 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 crypto economic systems that are good. And so I think that, you know, this is actually one of the principles behind proof of stake is that is that it's economically much more cheaper to defend the system than it is to attack it. And so, you know, if you're launching something that's a scam, then hopefully the systems like the crypto media has an immune system against that mm-hmm. and it'll, it won't proliferate as fast. So uh, that's where I hope to see us evolve to. But uh, I think that one, you know, once bitten twice shy is, is the backup plan or that's not the backup plan, but it's, it's what's happened so far with a lot of these things. Exactly. And like, Things like a Bitcoin mining, I was, I'm still hopeful like for mining to encourage at least some type of renewable, renewable energy usage, like just solar, hydro, whatever it is. It's kind of like to help promote getting away with using uh, like fossil fuels, but I know it's still like, it's still intensive and unnecessary if we can avoid it. If we don't have, if you don't have to actually mine, we can use some of the other methods, but that was my hope with cryptocurrency mining in general. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, hopefully it's less energy usage when it's proof of stake launches. And that's really the next milestone that I'm focused on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, as, yeah, hopefully we get to that merge soon enough. It's exciting times. Um, so, yeah. Is there anything that you would have, um, I guess, want to give advice to to certain people who are also trying to build in the industry and how to get started? Because it is it is a scary thing to do. And the thing I like to always give out is saying, you know, help out where you can contribute. Like community management is a good one for almost anyone to do, but yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you know, I I I don't give financial advice. I'm not a trader. I'm not a finance person, but I am a software engineer and I know how to build software. So, I I think that my career in software has just been about acquiring skills and relationships and trying to prioritize the right skills and the right relationships in order to create as much impact in mm-hmm. the world and as much success as possible and it's really a process of trial and error to to move forward but it's really an amazing time to be able to participate in this ecosystem from anywhere and to be able to get coins pun intended (laughs) um and so i think that you just got to keep showing up day after day learn new things make a little bit of progress day over day and then it's it's the compounding of those of those small investments that really gets exciting. You get one percent better every day. After three hundred sixty five days, you're going to be a thousand percent better. I haven't done the math on that actually, but uh, but you're gonna get you're gonna get way way better because of the compounding gains that come along with that. Yeah. Actually, let me do the math on that. One percent better every day is for three hundred sixty five days. Write a little script right here. <laughs> scripting live on wholesome crypto yeah um yeah i mean you get you you go from 100 percent to 37 37 thousand percent so i mean that's just one percent growth every day because that's how much compound compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world (laughs) damn wow look at that so we should just start that's like that's actually a pretty hopeful positive outlook into like just do one percent every day you'll be much better like 30 37 thousand percent better Mm -hmm. by the end of the year 
Yeah. Oh, no, 3,700. I don't know if I misspoke there, but oh, yeah. There's... Still um, really amazing. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Definitely learned a whole la- coding language in that time. Um, so do you, where do you think you would have been if you never got into crypto? Do you think, like, what would you have been doing? I'd probably still be working in Web2 startups. I, I mean, I like startups. I like tech. And I was working at a computer vision company before I started Gitcoin. Before that, I was working on a clean energy tech startup. Mm-hmm. And before that, I had the online dating startup. So probably doing something in in Web2, whether that's... Or it could have been another genre of frontier tech, like AI, machine learning, virtual reality, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, being in tech is just never going to, it's always going to be your number one spot in building tech and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, that's probably what I think I, I would do. I don't know if I'll, if I'll always work in tech, but at least so far it's been what's engaged me the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. It's new. Um, but yeah, thank you. So and as a final question, I'll have to know out of all of your experience, what has been your favorite wholesome crypto moment? I really just love the moments where, you know, you go to getcoin.co slash results and you can see the $65 million worth of open source that we funded. Mm-hmm. And that's a great quantitative view of what Gitcoin has been able to do. But nothing beats the moments when you go to a hackathon or you're on Twitter and people say say to you, hey, you opened up a new career door for for me. And they're saying you as in Gitcoin, which mm-hmm. by the way, Gitcoin is tens or hundreds of people, not just me. Um, in fact, I've actually recently disaffiliated from Gitcoin DAO in order to make room for other leaders. And uh, and Gitcoin is is I still have the habit of saying we, but but it's really Gitcoin is 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 those people now. Anyway, so yeah, if it, if it got people through a rough patch financially with Gitcoin grants or it supported a career transition for them, that to me is the most wholesome, heartwarming thing in the world. And that's what keeps me up in the morning is the human level impact of people who are able to work on what they love because of Gitcoin. So. That's the most wholesome crypto moment for me. <laughs> it's definitely appreciated and noticed because, yeah, like like we said before, it's humans are awesome. You know, there's a lot of lot of good. There's much more good than there is bad, and it's just sad when the uh, few hurt the reputation of the crypto industry. Especially like now, like Tornado Cash being on OFAC, it's just like not necessary, not helpful to the industry as a whole. But it happens, and it's something we have to learn through and power through and keep developing and building. Hopefully, it doesn't distract us from the good that's coming out of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have nothing to add there. I'm still digesting the whole tornado cash thing. So I have nothing smart to say there. (laughs) All good. Um, But yeah, thank you so much, Kevin, for joining me today. It's, you know, awesome speaking with you. Awesome hearing your story. And I'm excited to keep watching uh, you build uh, any project that you build out because it's just fun seeing that happen. And I hope the best. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great to chat with you and uh, looking forward to hearing from your audience. Thanks. See you, everyone.